Katie, what's up? Hey, Jesse, did you see the debate last night? Uh, yeah, I saw like the last 60 minutes of it. It just reinforced my confidence about voting for Trump, who's going to make America great again. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I did not watch it because I uh, I don't have to anymore. I am now in a position where I'm not forced by um, by virtue of being a staff writer at The Stranger or anywhere else. I, I no longer have to listen to the debate, so I, so I try not to. That said, I did see a pretty funny tweet that I would like to read you. Go for it. Okay, so this is from David Hogg. He's the young activist uh, who survived the Parkland, Florida shooting. And apparently Donald Trump I, at some point referred to coyotes. In a very non-sequitur kind of way, he did, yeah. Okay, so this is what David Hogg said. Imagine calling the immigrant parents that bring their children over to the United States for a better life coyotes. The level of, the level of xenophobia is <laughs> sickening. <laughs> so so Hogg, Hogg thinks... I'm so confused. Hogg thinks that Trump is claiming that their their parents are literally coyotes. Yeah, and then I saw a bunch of other people, lots of blue check marks who are like good liberals, like acting as though he thinks that like literal coyotes are bringing are bringing children over. So it's it's almost worse than the David Hogg tweet. I was not aware that this was not a, a like a, a term that that's in common usage, but apparently it is not on liberal blue check Twitter. No, I mean there. So it was ridiculous he used the term because the question was like, "Hey, what about those five hundred forty five separated kids?" Uh, and Trump was like, "Oh, they were brought over by coyotes," which they weren't because the whole right. point is they were separated from their parents who brought them. But right. people people don't know what a coyote is. They thought <laughs> apparently not. Apparently not. Well, he's you know he's only a freshman at Harvard, so maybe they learned that in the second year. I think I think there's a chance that we're reaching like a at least a local peak of national stupidity, and that if Biden wins, we'll go. Back back to like our normal already very high but standard level of national stupidity but i'm worried that like this will be like the coronavirus um graph and somehow the second peak will be even higher but i guess we'll have to see yeah so much to look forward to all right jesse what podcasts are we recording right now blocked reported i'm jesse single and i'm katie herzog and today we are going to be talking about uh what are we talking about if you like dick Okay. Okay. You have come to the right podcast. I would say, I would say d- penis as a concept. Would you say it has only come up infrequently at most on this particular podcast? Uh, yes, we have avoided Dick Talk. Dick Talk has not been a big part of what we're doing this week. However, there is a national news story involving Dick. But first, we're going to talk about, uh, people who are being forced, literally forced, Katie, forced into voting for Trump because they are so outraged by wokeness. But before that even, could I talk about our last episode for one, for one minute? Yeah, do it. Just one point I want to make, which is we talked about the 1619 project. We focused in on these very specific factual questions about it, how the paper handled it, how Nicole Hannah Jones handled it. A few critics, including people I respect, were like, you know, how could you talk about this package if you didn't read the whole thing? I am a huge fan of read the thing before you criticize it, as are you. In general, you should read something before you criticize it, correct? Or watch it or listen to it or eat it, whatever. <laughs> the spark notes, right. Uh, in this case, the way I justified it, and I, th- I think where this was kosher, we really did, if you listen to the episode, we talked about a very specific question about it that we thought was important because it bore on a factual issue. We did not talk about sort of the more subjective aspects of of the package, the historiography, whether various essays were well-founded. So I get what people are saying. I agree in principle. I just – I feel like we're on stable ground for this one because I also like – I sort of – lack I, I didn't it would be a pretty heavy lift for us 
given all the history we'd have to read and people we'd have to talk to to evaluate the whole package. And that conversation sort of already happened. Do you think what I'm saying is fair? I do think it's fair. I agree with you. I think in general, um, it is better to read the thing that you are criticizing in entirety before you criticize it. We do not want to be Pink News reviewing the J.K. Rowling book before we have read the J.K. Rowling book. But in this case, that's not what we were doing. We were talking about these very specific claims um, regarding an essay, one particular essay and the internet bullshit around the essay, not commenting on the entire package, which we shouldn't because we haven't read the entire package. No. So um – Okay. So, so we were accused of something. The two of us found us not guilty. Therefore, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Glad that's over. A fair and open trial jury of our peers. Should we move on to the meat of the show? Yeah. There's a pretty hefty package. We, we need to undre- undress. <laughs> this is a sturdy show. Uh, it's weird that we had all this time to come up with dick jokes. We couldn't even. Not even good ones. Let's talk about the incons first. Katie, remind our wonderful audience what an involuntary celibate is. An involuntary celibate is a person, typically a male, but not always, who is unable to get laid, desires to get laid, and is unable to get laid. And it's a community that has sort of, uh, sprung up from the darker reaches of the internet. I believe it, I believe it popped up on one of the chants or Reddit. I'm not really sure. Um, about the the history of the incel movement at this exact moment in time. Um, but yes, it is a community of people who want to get laid and cannot get laid and sometimes respond to that with uh, by like hating women. You know, this is a very foreign concept to me. It took me a lot of, of reading and learning to even understand what that must be like. I'm sure. But uh, yeah, so there's a lot, a lot has been written about incels. Have you heard of incons? I have just this week, actually. <laughs> just this week. Okay, so this this new uh, entry in the lexicon of dumb internet speak was sparked this week. James Lindsay I've talked about him before. He he's one of the biggest sort of uh, anti wokeness people around. He wrote a book about it or co authored a book about it. He has a site called New Discourses that unpacks woke speak, critical theory, critical race theory. He's sort of the guy for that kind of thing at the moment, or one of the big ones. He did the um the so-called Sokol 2.0 hoax. He basically, he and a couple others, Peter Bogosian, Helen Pluckrose, sent out a bunch of fake papers using sort of woke social justice speak, and they were published in various outlets. And this, they argued, proved that there's just no quality control standards in these journals, I think we've talked about this before. It's like, I think it's a little bit more complicated than a home run on their part because like some of them were accepted to low quality journals. They were definitely garbage papers and it was definitely a bad sign for those areas of academia. Yeah. There was one where they, uh, took a chapter of Mein Kampf and replaced the word Jews with the word white men and had that, had that placed in a feminist journal. I think it might have even won an award. Um, so not a great look for, for what they call the grievance studies, um, genre of, of academic paper. No. Um, okay. So, um, James Lindsay is extremely online with Twitter. He, he fights with a lot of people on Twitter. He's built up a very large following, but the other day he said, um, a few days ago, uh, this would have been Tuesday. It's Friday when we're recording this. He, he goes, frankly, going to unhappily vote Republican, including Trump. Until the left walks this shit all the way back. And he screen caps a headline of a New Republic article called The American Left Should Work Toward Abolishing the Constitution Someday, Either for a New Document or a New Democratic Order Without a Written Constitution. So, that's tweet one. 
uh, Eric Weinstein, Brett Weinstein's brother, big tech guy, has a very well-known podcast called The Portal, is also considered a uh, intellectual dark web figure, sort of anti-wokeness, trying to say the unsayable, all that. So he, quote, retweets James Lindsay. He says, uh, incons are a force this year. Involuntary conservatives are real. As I've told you, the failure to condemn at Mayor Jenny and at Ted Wheeler, those are two very liberal big city mayors, acknowledge Antifa, admit to media bias or to level about cognitive issues, etc. in a near octogenarian, he means Biden's supposed uh, cognitive issues, has this has all created the never Trump Trump voter. So in other words, involuntary conservatives uh, are so outraged by the stuff going on, on the left and liberals inability to rein it in. That they, even though they were never Trumpers and are disgusted by Trump, they've now decided Trump is a better option than this stuff. Do you think, do you think that's a fair summary? Yes. Eric is basically arguing that he didn't say that he was voting for Trump. He insinuated that he would, although I give less of a fuck about how Eric is going to vote because he lives in California. James Lindsay lives in Tennessee, um, which is actually probably just as reliably a red state as California. So maybe his vote ultimately doesn't really matter. As California's blue, you mean? Right, right. Um, So, uh, yeah. So basically what Eric is arguing here is that he or whoever is being forced to vote for Donald Trump. Right. and then there was one other tweet that I thought really captured this that didn't use the incon term, but but made that argument. So Dave Rubin of the Rubin Report, he's another sort of IDW, calls himself a liberal, seems to focus mainly on. Does he still call himself a liberal? Oh, I mean, maybe he's he doesn't anymore. That's that's been his shtick for a while. Yeah, his shtick is I'm. He's the guy who says that he hates identity politics and then points out that he's married to a man at any given opportunity. He says because he's basically like the fact that he's married to a man and he thinks that weed should be legal means that he's still a liberal no matter how he votes. Right. Which in 2020, these are not. This does not mark you as like right. I got into a a bit of a pissing contest with Ruben um, a couple of years ago before the 2018. Uh, elections, Ruben put out some video basically urging people to vote for, for Republicans. Well, and, and similarly, James Lindsay, uh, referred to either Biden or his policies on Twitter as Marxist recently. And it's that same thing where it's like that, generally speaking, the people who view Joe Biden, Sleepy Joe of the 94 crime bill as Marxist, not usually liberals, although I guess there could be exceptions. Right. He's responding to Joe Biden as though Joe Biden is Elizabeth Warren or yeah. Bernie Sanders. Which is a which is a dynamic I'll um yeah, I want to get into. But okay, so Dave Rubin, he's responding to a tweet by an outlet called SV News. The tweet reads, Jewish restaurant owner pleads with misinformed NYC inspector who is citing him with a court summons fine for quote, violating dining ban, unquote, end quote, ignoring fact that owner only does takeout and have the door open for air. Ruben responds to this little clip of video, which, you know, looks frustrating from the restaurant owner's perspective, but we don't know the full context. Ruben responds, tyranny is here. Vote every Democrat out of office at every level everywhere. This is the only way to get things to start turning around or live like sheep going to the slaughter. Your call. So I like this analogy that a possibly unfair fine from the government is equivalent to them sending sheep to the slaughter. Um this style pisses me off because it's like there are um, there are many reasons. If you're conservative and you think Trump's policies are better than Democratic policies, there are plenty of reasons to vote for Trump. I, I disagree with him completely, as do you. 
this idea that people are somehow being forced to vote for Trump by the Biden-Harris ticket or by a random New Republic article or by a random event in New York City is pretty silly, I think. Yeah, they're just cherry picking these like local incidents and somehow, which are totally problematic, I agree, but they are somehow extrapolating from these, these isolated local incidents that the, that the only appropriate response to that is a, another four years of Donald Trump, which neglects the fact that a lot of this, the, the wokeness that we've seen, the excesses of wokeness that I know all three of them are concerned about are a direct reaction to Donald Trump. So Jesse, I had a, an interesting conversation about maybe a year ago with, uh, with James Lindsay and we talked on the phone and he told me something that I thought was, was very perceptive. And it's something that I've, I've repeated. He said, if Donald Trump wins, this is going to be proof positive to the, the online social justice warriors, the more militant activists, that the United States is so racist and so sexist, uh, that it, it needs to be dismantled, that the, that Donald Trump is proof positive that we live in a country that is We'll never be able to recover from our history of, 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 of oppression of minorities. And all that's going to do is to reinforce this, uh, we reinforce this ideology that people like James and Eric and Dave are so concerned about. James Lindsay told me that. And then now, a year later, he's saying that he's voting for Donald Trump. Huh. That's interesting because it's like, right. I mean, you know, who else would benefit from from Trump getting a second term is James Lindsay. I, I don't want to be like that cynical about it. I think that James is a, is a decent dude despite his uh, his presence on Twitter, which I think um, I hope is not like really reflective of him as a person. I don't I don't know him well. We've talked on the phone one time. Um but I've like I he is friends with people that I'm friends with. I have heard he is a decent person. I'm cho- choosing to believe that he is not voting for Donald Trump out of some um some you know cynical cynical sort of self promotional means. Um, and I don't think he I don't think Donald Trump winning like this stuff like wokeness is not going to disappear overnight. I don't think I think that there I think that this is a legitimate fight. And like these guys, I am also concerned that Joe Biden will be stuck in a corner somewhere and his younger staffers um and Kamala Harris will attempt to usher in this ideology into the federal government. I'm totally concerned about that. I think it's more likely because Trump did things like ban critical race theory from the federal government because of the backlash. Like Donald Trump is is fucking E equals MC squared for every uh, for every is that equal for every action there is an equal opposite reaction is that equal? No. <laughs> whatever, so. whatever. Okay, but Donald Trump all Donald Trump does when he does things like ban critical race theory from the federal government is guarantee that when he is out of office in hopefully January, these things are more likely to be ushered into the federal government because Donald Trump is the architect, right? And so it doesn't make any sense that you would try to get the guy that you would try to help the guy stay in office who has created in part this movement. The movement is a in part a backlash to Donald Trump. And so if you want the backlash to go away, Donald Trump needs to go away. It's it's just I find it to be very disingenuous framing. So James Lindsay screen caps a headline from the New Republic. Um who wrote that piece? I think it's Osita Nwanavu. Ah uh, that guy. 
And and I, I'm not going to go back to that. I haven't read the piece. There, there's all sorts of arguments about the Constitution. There was a famous book, I think, a decade ago about how the Constitution is bad. There's some stuff in the Constitution that is not good. Totally. I don't, I don't know the nature of the argument. But he responds to the headline of one article and says, until the left walks this shit back. What is the left? Until the left walks this shit. Yeah, what is the left? Is left is Joe Biden going to try to cancel the Constitution? Is Kamala Harris? Are we – I? That he's framing it in a way where there's no possible response to his. It's like a religious argument until the left walks it back. What would constitute the the quote left walking this back? Does he what like until Osita like takes his argument back because that's not going to happen. Right until do you think does he think that if he polled a majority of Democratic voters, the the group of voters who elected Joe Biden over much woker candidates, does he think the mass of Democratic voters want to revoke the Constitution? There, the amount of stuff you have to ignore and the amount of trade-offs you have to ignore to choose Trump, unless that is just your politics. If James Lindsay is a conservative and he wants us to be very harsh on immigrants and he's not that disturbed by separating kids from their parents at the border and he's not that. Although I will say I have to, I have to interrupt you here because I think it's also worth pointing out that or be irresponsible not to point out that the Obama administration was terrible with immigration. It was, but it, it, um, it, I think things have reached a new low with Trump. The number of deportations, I believe, were higher under Obama because the number of border crossings were higher. Um, right. The press was – except for people who cover immigration specifically, the press was almost silent when it came to Obama's immigration policies. But activist – immigrant activists called him the deporter-in-chief. And Trump has so much more the, – the media has, has just – like he has had a target on his back because everybody fucking hates him. The press is so much more likely to report on these terrible incidents that when Trump did them than when Obama did them. That it, I think it actually does make a, dif- a difference. It shows like the resistance can work in some ways um, because Trump did – like we found out about these about these kids being separated from their border. There's this massive outcry um, and the government did have to change their policies. I hope that that continues under the uh, under the Biden administration. I'm not sure that it will. Well, I mean, the government didn't. Re- I mean, there's 545 kids who might never be absolutely, you know, absolutely. change their policies. A lot of damage was done. At the end of the day, it's just like I um, to say I'm going to vote for Trump because of a new republic headline suggests to me a not particularly serious way of of working through this choice and it suggests to me that a lot of stuff trump has done lindsay is fine with because lindsay views trump as his sort of anti-critical race theory champion i i can't possibly imagine making that decision in that way and i don't think you can unless you just aren't that bothered by or haven't paid attention to the rest of trump's policies i just like even if the Biden administration was going to double critical race trainings in the federal government. I, to me, it would still be such an easy choice because this is – I hate this stuff. I've written about it. I think it's bad. I think it's pernicious. There's a reason we did two episodes on Robin D'Angelo. When that stuff is exposed to sunlight, it tends to wither away. Like huge numbers of liberals have written about how terrible Robin D'Angelo is. The idea that the situation with regard to Robin D'Angelo's influence – this is someone who's now been ridiculed by everyone in the Atlantic, in the New York Times magazine, New York magazine. Every major liberal outlet has written an anti-Robin D'Angelo piece. Does James Lindsay think the situation is so dire with regard to Robin D'Angelo that we need to vote for Trump, that Trump is our only hope to fight Robin D'Angelo as though Trump's reelection wouldn't strengthen her? I, I just, I, I feel like he's missing something here or because he spends all his time arguing with the fucking worst progressives in the world on Twitter, which is where they congregate. 
he's just lost sight of everything else. And the idea of then framing it as an involuntary choice, involuntary. I mean, come on, man, just own your choices. Like I, he should, he should write a piece about why he's voting for Trump and why he thinks Trump is just a better choice across the board or why he thinks this one issue is so important that even in light of these questions over whether, whether Trump will even have a, um, positive effect on fighting wokeness instead of strengthening it he still thinks this is the right choice i just i just this sort of drove me crazy to be honest involuntary you you, it's not involuntary you are making a choice right right i mean you can also make the choice not to vote like if you're that fearful of joe biden of sleepy joe wokening up in the white house you can also make a choice not to vote i would respect that more um or fucking writing Kanye, if you feel like it, then voting for Donald Trump. I think what's happening is that I think you, you you touched on it. I think that James and Eric spend so much time online. And they're so steeped in this culture on the like, hyper online, Twitter, culture wars, that they're missing the fact that the, like the federal government is a separate entity from what happens on Twitter, right? This is all this is all like, you can, I guess you could make the argument that like culture is downstream of politics. I guess you could make that argument. But the reality is like the federal government is not responsible for people being idiots on Twitter. And there's nothing they can do aside from highly regulating these, these, uh, these platforms, which I don't think they should be doing in the first place because that'll come with major free speech implications that will change that. Right. So these are cultural issues. Like, the critical race theory in the government stuff is is a little bit separate because Trump has turned it into a policy issue. But lots of this stuff, all of this, like what I like to call social media justice warriors, that stuff is online, right? And of course, like there can be, you know, we can see this um, bleeding over into some into some policy issues like education and things like that. But you can't choose who you're going, your candidate based on Twitter dialogue or based on stupid think pieces in the New Republic. That's just like, this is nonsensical. And there are just... Like, I am as concerned about fucking cancel culture and the illiberalization of the American left as anybody is, more so than than fucking 99% of the people. But there are bigger issues. There just are, right? Like, healthcare is a bigger issue. We live in a country where people can't afford to go to the fucking doctor. This is an issue. And I'm not, like, certain that Joe Biden is going to fix that, but I am certain that Donald Trump isn't going to fix that. And if you care about things like climate change, well, I don't think the world's going to end in 12 years, but I do think that we need to get off of fossil fuels, and Donald Trump isn't going to change that at all. Also, how is the, how is how is Donald Trump against cancel culture? I'm sorry, but the exact same behavior Donald Trump does, where, for example, he'll be mad at a journalist, so he'll do a tweet about them, and then they get harassed and dogpiled. You and I both have complicated, you know, feelings on that question of like what the lines of harassment are. But, um, if Kamala Harris at mentioned some right wing figure who is less powerful than her, and that person got dogpiled and harassed, James Lindsay would be like, see, that's cancel culture. Why, why does none of this stuff apply when it, when it comes to Trump? Why do, why does the potential of, um, you know, infringement on our liberties not apply to Donald Trump, who, who acts in many ways like a dictator who, and the only reason he can't sort of fulfill his dictatorial potential is because we live in a country that has a pretty good anti-dictatorial framework because of the constitution. I just, to, to pretend Donald Trump is anti-cancel culture when like, Half of his campaign rallies are just ticking off the names of people who have pissed him off. I mean, Donald Trump loves cancel culture. This has been the most, his 
grasping this as a culture war issue has been the most opportunistic thing ever. Oh, it totally has. And it's aggravating that people can't see this. And it also makes those of us who actually do give a shit about cancel culture on both the left and the right look like fools. You know, I've said this before, but Donald Trump talking about cancel culture is like like my favorite band being featured on a fucking Gap commercial. Like, <laughs> just just get out of here, dude. Get out of here. You're not helping. You're making things worse. Um, because it makes – when Donald Trump talks about things like cancel culture, it makes people on the left say like, well, this is really just a right-wing cudgel. Yeah, man. I am um, I, just baffled by this judgment. I'd like Lindsay and other people who really think they're being forced to vote for Trump to look at the people Trump has invited into government. Steve Bannon, Stephen Miller, Stephen Mnuchin. Like – these are bad, unqualified people. Someone with, with Stephen Miller's views on immigration should not be in the same zip code as the White House. Someone with Steve Bannon's sort of apologetic or supportive attitude toward far-right populism in Europe should not be near the White House. Donald Trump shouldn't be near the fucking White House. He's a reality television star with absolutely no qualifications. He He's an embarrassment. He's an embarrassment to the entire fucking country. I, I just... I, People considering making this choice, like, look, again, I actually, if you are conservative and your main issues are you think there's too many environmental regulations, you want taxes as low as possible, all that, people like that, who where that's really their politics, hold your nose and vote for Trump. God knows people excuse terrible personal behavior and choices to vote for, you know, candidates who support their politics. The Supreme Court, too. Trump has delivered on that. He's delivered. We now have a hard right or at least solidly conservative Supreme Court with a significant majority, possibly for generations. Congratulations to conservatives. But you can't support all this and pretend that you're progressive or liberal-minded. These are deeply illiberal people. If you're the sort of person like Stephen Miller who wants to inflict as much pain on, as possible on people who cross the border illegally, that's not liberal. If you're Steve Bannon, for the love of God, that is not liberal. Like this just – these – you can't – pretend to be a liberal while supporting this stuff. It's as simple as that. I agree. If you're so mad at Biden about whatever that you want to sit it out, whatever, especially if you're in Tennessee or some other state that doesn't matter. But I just, I, I don't understand this. And I think they should just, um, they should explain why they think all this other stuff Trump has done is acceptable because critical race theories trainings are not the world. Right. I also, I'm hopeful that if Biden is in office, all of this stuff, this like bad ideology that we're seeing the left embrace, that it will be easier to fight it. Um, when there's, when, when at least the left has some power, like right now, the Democrats don't have any fucking power in Congress. They can't do shit. And my hope is that they will at least be able to govern and that there will be sensible people within the Biden administration. And I, I know two people who, who work, one person who works for the campaign and one person who, who is on Biden's LGBTQ advisory board. They're both trans people. And these are the trans, these are not the like hyper online trans people. These are like incredibly sensible, good, People who I am glad to hear that these are the people who Donald, who, who Joe Biden chose. Yeah, Robin Kanner is one of them. Yeah, right? Robin, Robin Kanner is Robin's great. Yeah. Robin's talked to both of us. She talked to you on stage after you guys like fought online. Look, okay, if Biden gets elected, will there be some appointee where they'll have made some dumb woke statement, some pandering statement? Of course, but it just doesn't matter to me as much as like having people who know how the treasury works running treasury, having people who know how the State Department works run this. There's all these like invisible functions of government that are churning along 24-7 that have nothing to do with wokeness that just I think maybe these people should be a little bit more curious about because they matter a great deal. They do. I want to tell you um, tell you something. So 
my sister has a friend who who worked for Biden um, when he was in when he was VP, and my sister showed me this this Facebook post that her friend made. And the friend said, so every day we would give Biden two things. He would, we would print out this little card for him. And the card had that day the number of people of American soldiers who were serving overseas, and it had the number of people who are out of work in the United States. And he would take that with him to work every day. Can you imagine? Like that, I think it just shows that the guy cares, that the guy like wants to be reminded of the fact that, you know, he is in charge. He is responsible for these lives in some, you know, some sort of grand way. Can you imagine Donald Trump even giving a fuck about something like that? No. Do you think Donald Trump knows how many troops are overseas or how many people are unemployed? Absolutely. Donald Trump, yesterday or the day before at a campaign rally, literally said, COVID, COVID, COVID. It's like all you hear about is COVID. Four years ago, if someone had done that, if they had complained about how much attention we were paying to a raging pandemic that had killed 230,000 people, that would have been an administration-defining moment. That's just normal now. That's just what he does. Does James Lindsay think that that's normal, that that's a sign of a stable, good president, that he's complaining about how much people are paying attention to a pandemic? I, This is exactly what everyone said would happen accurately. It's become normalized. We've lost our capacity to outrage. But if you sit with that for a minute, if you sit with a president saying, oh, coronavirus, 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 when he was the one who helped fuck things up, like, this shit is outrageous. I just want things to go back to normal. I, I would... Dude, like, if it can't be Biden, I would choose Mitt Romney at this point. This just, we need a baseline level of competence and normalcy. And I say this as someone who's not a big fan of Biden. Biden was not exactly crisp during the debate last night. Biden is not great, but he is just, yeah. I think we've been avoiding the election on this podcast because people want to reprieve uh, from hearing about it. And, and lucky for you guys, there's only one more episode before it anyway. But I just like to see people thinking voting for Trump is like the right move against wokeness. I, I find completely baffling. We have the one podcast before the election, and then we're going to have the month's worth of podcast after the election when the when the race is at the Supreme Court. And then we have the, <laughs> and then we have the four years after that when Amy Coney Barrett is cast the deciding vote that gives Donald Trump the fucking victory. Um, I can't wait. Um, that's, that's how this inevitably ends. It's 2020. I My theory is we will... I maybe I'm jinxing it. I think we will know election night. Uh, I may this is wishful thinking, but I just I sort of there there are scenarios where we know election night because in the range of possibilities, there are a lot of possibilities where like things don't need a break a little bit. Like if things think Biden does not need any major surprising things to happen in light of the polling to win. Um, so I just, I'm hopeful, like, like as if he wins Florida, that's just it. That's game over. But, yeah. you know, we were saying this shit four years ago. So who the fuck knows? You know, I understand the, the fuck you vote. I, I think I understand it really well. Um, but I hope that people consider that the fuck you vote is irrational. I get it. Like liberals can be incredibly annoying. I've experienced a lot of that, but the answer to that is not to, to usher in Donald Trump. It's not to vote for Donald Trump. All that's going to do is make things worse. The answer is to remain within the party and fight for it, you know, or start your own thing. Start a third party if you want to. Start your own version of the anti-woke DSA or whatever. But the answer is not to vote for Donald Trump because Donald Trump will make things worse. If you are worried about rioting and looting right now, just wait until he wins the fucking election again. Shit is going to get so much worse. But then people will say, oh, so you're saying we should like be held hostage by that, which I, I think is silly because that's like saying, um, you know, back in the, the peak of the Iraq and Afghanistan wars, people would be like, 
you know, you realize American foreign policy makes the likelihood of terrorism worse. And yes. people be like, oh, okay, so you're just saying we should do what the terrorist wants. It's a more nuanced argument than that. It's saying that certain events elicit um, predictable reactions right. and that we should, like, factor that in. And that is one of the reasons not to vote Trump back in is part of this unrest is absolutely connected to Trump. And I don't – you know what? I wouldn't riot – Trump has said some crazy shit about a lot of groups and you can understand why people feel freaked out and why a certain paranoia has set in on the left. Like, yeah, the one, um, the one other interesting, there's an interesting analogy I thought up between involuntary celibates and involuntary conservatives, which is this like, um, I don't know if the word's entitlement, but okay. So a lot of incels, they're not having sex not because they literally couldn't have sex with anyone. They're not having sex because hot girls want to have sex with them. And they think that, like, everyone has to be able to have sex with hot girls. This is, like, a little bit similar in that incons think that they're entitled to a Democratic Party that's, like, flawless or to candidates that are flawless rather than just, like, make going to war with the army you have and realizing it's better than the alternative. Similar to, like, having sex with someone who isn't a stunning 10 model is probably – you know, preferable to not having sex at all. It's just, it, it doesn't strike me as a realistic understanding of the world and the choices we have to make in either instance. It's sort of like the Bernie bro committing to vote for Donald yeah. Trump because, uh, because Bernie lost the primary. Well, a lot of them, either way, a lot of them are just sitting it out, which is like as good as, um, yeah, which I find equally frustrating. I just don't think they're as big a, I don't think either of these are bigger. I, t I tweeted at Weinstein and uh, Lindsay that they should like actually put some skin in the game and make some predictions. Like how big do you think this block is? I don't think it's a big block. I'm just, these are influential figures. So I'm worried about some people in swing states listening to them, which they should. Did you see that, that Brett Weinstein, Eric's brother was, um, was uh, thrown off of Facebook yesterday. I want more. That's crazy, man. I, w I want to know exactly what happened there, but yeah, I retweeted that. That's crazy. Yeah. For people who aren't aware. So Brett is, uh, he was the professor at Evergreen State University in Olympia, Washington, who was, uh, run off of campus for objecting to, um, some critical race theory type ideas several years ago. And now he's been run off of Facebook. He also, Brett came up with, Brett, I, I like Brett. Um, I did a big piece on, on him and his, and, it, and his wife in the aftermath of Evergreen. Um, I've been on his podcast. I, I, I like them. Um, but Brett came up with an idea that I thought was pretty insane. He calls it Unity 2020. And the idea was to recruit two people like Andrew Yang and some, uh, some Republican. Um, I think he had some general in mind, uh, to, to run third party. And then the idea would be that like they would switch after four years. So one would be, one would be president and one would be vice president. It did not take off really. I, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. I, I almost wrote about that, but didn't because it made so little sense to me. It also, it was presented as like, we're, we don't want to choose between the radical left and the radical right. We need a centrist solution as though the democratic primary process hadn't delivered a center left right. solution, which is what Biden Harris is. Well, I, you know, I think Brett would have preferred Bernie. I think he's sort of a Bernie guy. Um, he, or at least he wasn't in, in 2016. There's Brett also, he's repeated something that I, I disagree with. I find him to be often correct, but he had, he's one of these people who, uh, who has implied or maybe even directly stated that the primary was stolen. Um, that, that, that DNC sort of, uh, sort of put their fingers on the, on the scale for Biden, which I just don't think is fair because what, you know, the reason Biden won the election was because of black voters in South Carolina. Yeah. Um, you know, so if you're, if you're pissed at anybody, you should be pissed at them. Well, so I think what happened was after he won Nevada, the Democratic Party believed, 
I think probably incorrectly that Bernie Sanders was too far to the left yeah. and that he wouldn't win the general. So I they, don't think it was incorrect, but yeah, but I mean, either continue. way, but the, but the point I'm just saying, this is sort of normal party politics. Then they, right. they, the more centrist or, you know, less left candidates got together and decided that people drop out to consolidate their power behind, you know, I guess at that point it was Warren and Biden, right? Do I have the timeline right? Yeah. So, but it's that, not a conspiracy. It's not a cons- that's how parties work. And it, so I, I want the Bernie movement to be successful, but this whole like, oh, it was a conspiracy. I'm going to take my ball and go home and not participate is exactly the wrong idea because the Bernie movement made real progress. Right. And, you know, it was last February or whatever before the world went crazy. I, I vividly remember he won Nevada. It looked like he could really win. If you want someone like Bernie Sanders to win, you need to keep up that momentum. Not, there was, there was not a conspiracy. You are going against the establishment. They have power. They're going to try to maintain it. Bernie Sanders endorsed the dude, you know? Yeah. That's good enough for me. Although that, that made a lot of like online lefty people. I'm, I know that it did. Well, and they started their oh, own yeah, podcast. <laughs> Doing quite well. <laughs> doing better than ours it is it was like what we were like the hottest podcast on patreon uh i like i like brianna joy gray a, a lot actually and i was going to um i meant to interview her and then my my life got complicated but uh what's the name of that podcast again uh bad faith it's brianna joy gray who is bernie's former um, uh, not Kim, press secretary and then one of the chapo guys um, yeah they know for a while we were sort of like the hottest recently launched uh, Patreon podcast, I think. And then they just like, they've had ridiculous success. So there's a market for that. Yeah, there definitely is. All right. Well, I, I ask you this most episodes, but should we talk about Dick? Yeah, let's talk about Dick. Okay. So <laughs> go for it. Okay. So last week we we're recording this on Friday. I think this happened on Sunday or Monday this week, I suppose. Uh, so the famed Jeffrey Tubin, Tobin, Tubin, Tubin. Jeffrey Tubin, uh, New Yorker staff writer, CNN contributor, uh, Vice reported, <laughs> I think it was Vice, Vice reported that Jeffrey Tubin was at a meeting. So the New Yorker was doing what they called an election simulation, and I have to, which is like so fucking bizarre. I don't know what they were doing. They had like different staffers were role playing like the Democrats, the Republicans. Masha Gessen was apparently role playing Trump. Um, and Jeffrey Tubin was role playing the courts. And so this was on a Zoom meeting between New York, uh, New Yorker staffers and staffers at WNYC. So I assume this is for a, for a podcast because New Yorker has a, has a podcast and a radio show in collaboration with WNYC. So, they're having this meeting and then they, they take a break, like a 10 minute break while they meet in small groups. So the Republicans are meeting, the Democrats are meeting and, and Tubin was left to his own devices, at which point he apparently decided to engage in a little bit of video sexting. And he thought that he had like closed down his Zoom window and he hadn't. And his colleagues were treated to a view of him jerking off. Now, yes. And do we know if it was sexting versus him just watching online porn? Has that been reported? Actually, that's a good point. I don't know. He could have just been watching porn. Anyway, the point is the dude took out his dick and was jerking off um, and his colleagues saw it. And the best part about this. So the New York Times reported on this. Let me just read you something. Okay, so this is this this paragraph is about what happens next after everybody rejoins the Zoom. All the while, participants continued as if nothing were wrong. One person on the call said, when Mr. Tubin rejoined, he was unaware of what had just happened. So it appears as though his colleagues see his penis, see him jerking off, and then he comes back to the meeting and nobody says anything. Yeah. 
do you think so we assume he's watching porn or in some sort of video sexting thing but um could it just be that he loves the democratic process so much that he got a little worked up over it yeah playing the course just yeah gets him real horny so uh in the after immediate aftermath of this tubin was suspended by um by the new yorker and cnn and this became the story on media twitter i guess it has it, it has uh the story has moved on a little bit. Now we're talking about David Hogg's idiotic tweet. From one, we went from one hog to another. <laughs> Good one. Um, so this totally consumes, uh, consumed media Twitter for a couple of days. And, you know, there's a couple ways to think about this. Just like on its, on it, on its service, if you just look at, look at the, just the tip, look at the event, just, if you just look at the tip, if you just look at the event itself, like, Jeffrey Tubin exposed himself to his coworkers. That seems like to me he was jerking off during a meeting. Not e- and like not even like on his lunch break. He was like jerking off during the break in a meeting. Uh and his coworkers saw him. To me that seems like a a fire like such an obviously fireable offense that it's sort of mind-blowing that anybody would argue that it's not. That said, People didn't make that argument. And I think it's actually a pretty compelling argument. So Elizabeth Bruning from the New York Times editorial page, uh, she pointed out, and I think rightfully, this is a compelling argument, not one that I would make, but it's a compelling argument that this is, you know, this is really a labor issue. He's not on the clock, really, because he's on staff. He was in his home. And do we really want to live in a world where employers can, uh, you know, can control your behavior at home while you're not on the clock. And I've made this argument before when it comes to things like speech. Like we talked about Tucker Carlson's uh, head writer who was, who was caught making like shitty racist comments online. He was doing it at home, as far as I know, at home, off the clock, his own computer, whatever. And my argument there was that this is a speech issue and we don't want our, we don't want employers, um, impinging our, our speech, even if they're legally entitled to fire you for whatever reason. It's a, it's a bad trend if we like invite employers into our, into our home lives. This feels a little bit different to me because jerking off is not a speech issue and because he was actually at work. Like this is not, this is not him on his lunch break. And other people have argued like, well, what if, you know, like, what if it's like going to like smoke a joint between meetings or whatever? Should you be fired for that? I say no, as someone who has smoked many joints at work. Um, granted, I worked for The Stranger most recently, and that's a place where you can kind of do shit like that. Um, but this feels different to me just because like, I like, I just trying to imagine like, what if I'm on a Zoom meeting with you and then I walk away for five minutes and I come back and you're, and you're jerking off. I mean, it's only happened once and I was very forgiving, but mostly that's because <laughs> it turns out that your penis was too tiny to actually see on the camera. Um, thank you. Thank you for providing those, uh, those details that, that give, you know, listeners full context and make the story less embarrassing. It was also like pixelated too, for some reason. I don't know what's going on down there. Um, so, but just when I imagine like being Masha Gessen or Jane Mayer, like looking at your computer screen and seeing your coworker jerk off, it just seems like there's no fucking way you can like come back from that. That said, the dude was so publicly humiliated that I think that that might be fair punishment enough. Like I feel bad for the guy. I also was totally unable to stop myself from taking part in the pylon. I told my mom about it. I was at home when this happened. I, I told my family as soon as I, I as soon as I saw the news and my mom said, well, maybe he was itchy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Anyway, what do you think? Yeah, no, the problem is just the sheer quantity of shtick I want to get through. Like, you know, all New York media stories are by nature masturbatory, but this one. Yes. Um, 
I okay, so horribly embarrassing. I think it sort of makes a difference if you're trying to impose your penis on others versus this actually being a genuine accident. Um, oh, I believe it was an accident. Because there's no way. Oh, yeah, there's no way. Like, what sort of crazy fool would do that? I mean, because it's such obviously a career-ending move. There's no way that anybody in their right mind – I mean, unless the dude has, like, a fucking brain tumor. I don't think there's any way he did that intentionally. No. Yeah. So, okay. There's a small subset of people we know who who sort of get off on, like – humiliating themselves or humiliating others i don't think tubin is in that category i should say i mean humiliating others i think it yeah humiliating himself in this case yeah i i so part of what makes this story complicated is is media is so incestuous and i think a lot of the people defending him were defending him because they're like buddies with him or and or respect him i've emailed with this guy a few times um appreciate his work i'll you know i not just a very tangential connection and he's obviously like a superstar um I am pro forgiveness in general. And that is a hard stance to take these days because especially if it's like a white man with power, people will say, Oh, but would you defend XYZ? I sort of think it makes me uncomfortable for the worst, most embarrassing moment anyone has ever had to ruin their career and just become their legacy. That just viscerally icks me out a little bit, especially when they've done so much other good stuff. In his case, if we knew that he was like, trying to impose this on his colleagues i agree that would be a firing offense like that you can't do that i don't think his 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 something colleagues upon seeing his dick were traumatized by it i think they were probably like oh you don't think so traumatized i mean not okay not like really traumatized but like that's got to be so deeply uncomfortable yeah oh definitely uncomfortable i just so a lot of the like online discourse basically treated this as any other like straightforward me too case where he had like intentionally wronged people and they had been deeply harmed by it it's not that it's not even like a louis ck case louis ck like like did it intentionally and he asked for consent i don't know if that makes it better or worse but it it, like it to me the idea that this was intentional like there's there's no fucking way. Yeah. I guess I just come down on like, I think it's so reckless and bad and stupid that I, I'm, I'm down with a suspension, suspension plus permanent public humiliation. Uh, that seems pretty fair. Yeah. And again, like I, people are going to like pile on me for defending him given who he is. I like, I fucking, I just finished a book about the super predator scare. I think kids who kill someone when they're 15 and 16 should not do yeah. that much time. And, you know, I don't know how, what the right amount of time is. I'm just, I am consistent about this. I think we should all be consistent about forgiveness. I understand how if it's like a rich, powerful, famous person, people have less capacity for forgiveness. I think that's human nature. But Well, do you think that this would, if this had been a low-level staffer, I don't think there would be any question. I think No, you're right. They'd be more likely to be fired. That's one of the problems with like cancel culture. Right. But Tubin is, Tubin is a super... Well, it's sort of... It's sort of like J.K. Rowling, like when people in her publishing house were like, drop her. They were like, LOL, fuck right. you. Um, this reminds me of the Mike Rosenberg case. Do you remember that one? Have we talked about that on the pod before? Was that the one oh out God. of Seattle? Yeah, this was a reporter for the Seattle Times. Really good reporter, did real estate. Um, read a lot about sort of gentrification and, and broader broader issues out like that stem from, from housing markets. And Rosenberg, he, like a year or two ago, he... He was DMing with a woman, a like young journalist across the country and had some like regular back and forth DMs. And then like a couple hours later, he sent her a message that said something. He said like, you're so pretty. You're so funny. There's so much come on your face. And so, so the woman, I don't know the exact, like the timeline here, but at one point he offered to give Planned Parenthood, 
a thousand dollars if she didn't tell anybody, which just made the situation worse. So she outed him. Um, he subsequently resigned from his job at the Seattle Times and I was in touch with him not that long ago, a couple months ago. I was checking in to see what, uh, you know, like where his life had gone since then. Um, I'm not going to give any details. He has a job, but his career in writing is over. Um, so like this was a real, this was a, you know, a, a rising star and his career as a journalist, uh, ended, ended then. And, and in that case, it was really easy for me to imagine. It was in the middle of the night. It was really easy for me to imagine that he didn't do this on purpose. He was also sort of a woke SJW type. Um, and this was, you know, during the, the height of me too. So it was really easy for me to imagine that this wasn't intentional, that he, uh, you know, was like chatting with this woman and then was like having like sexy DMs with someone else and, uh, you know, and, and like, clicked on the wrong window, which fucking happens. I mean, who hasn't like texted someone you're shit talking about them a time or two? You know, that stuff really does happen. And in that case, I thought it was really more, more cut and dry. I didn't think that he should be fired for this. It took, it took place off of, off of the clock. It really had nothing to do with his colleagues, um, or his ability to do his job. It looked bad, but in that case, I thought, well, same thing. Like there's no way he would have done this intentionally because it's such like an obvious career ending move at this point the reason i disagree with there's no way would have done that intentionally uh, is dudes do that intentionally all the time i had a colleague at new york magazine uh a woman who a pretty well-known progressive guy i wouldn't say his name even if i could remember it i can't i remember googling him and he was like kind of a big deal would just he had a wife and he hit on her mercilessly in dms and that this would have ruined his life if it got out dudes well, was this before Me Too or after uh, Me Too? Maybe a little bit before Me Too. So yeah, maybe that. So that's what I think is different. I think that the the aware like it, when when the Rosenberg story happened, this was well after Me Too had already started, and I think just the awareness that like shit has changed. You don't get to do this. I that's why I thought it was it was like very plausible that this was a mistake because he's not dumb, yeah. and it's obvious that this would ruin your career. I think in both cases, it's likely it was an accident. I just you know. Sometimes it's not. So I just, I'm skeptical of the idea that we can always be like, oh, well, it's clearly an accident. I guess in both those sure. cases, and especially the Tubin case, because that to five or six or 10 of your colleagues is literally potentially the end of your career. It just strikes me as so unlikely, um, that that, that he did that intentionally, especially because, you know, he's like 60, probably not incredible with technology. Um, I think for Tubin. And he said, he said his like statement after this happened was that he, it wasn't an accident that he said he like thought that he thought it was muted. Um, <laughs> he didn't even use the right not- word. <laughs> right. Uh, I'd be comfortable with, with a suspension. Uh, does that make sense to you? It does. It does make sense to me. Okay. So here's the next question. So Megan Dom, Megan Daum, um, I realized that I've been mispronouncing her name after I've now listened to her podcast. Megan Daum, um, uh, who has been a guest on our show, tweeted something, an interesting question, which I think is worth considering. What would the response be if this had been a woman? Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> women are so much less gross and creepy that... It wouldn't happen. A, it probably wouldn't happen. B, it just doesn't have that same context of like a woman. You know, women don't try to like fucking exert power over people by sending pictures of their vaginas at them. 
Historically. So. <laughs> yeah, historically. Uh, yeah, I think it's possible that if this had been a woman, that the response would have been like, you go girl. Like, she's on a break. <laughs> she's just, Girl boss. Yes, girl boss. Just lean into it, girl. She's lean trying to have it. it all. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I do think the reaction would have been different if it had been a woman. Phoebe Maltz-Bovey, also friend of the pod, tweeted another question that I thought it was interesting, which was, okay, so let's imagine that in this scenario, it's a woman and she's not jerking off. She's painting her nails. What would that have respons- response have been? Oh, I mean, that's like, that's a nothing burger. So the question is, okay, it, if I'm supposed to be on a Zoom work call, in this hypothetical, horrible universe where I have a real job and real responsibilities, um, those two actions are very different. Clipping my nails, the male the male version of it versus masturbating, I just- You'd get fired. I would, I would fire your ass immediately if you were clipping your nails on a Zoom chat. That's so much worse than masturbation. Okay. Well, it's controlling for grossness. <laughs> I think it's totally coherent to be like, it's more disrespectful or more unprofessional to do one act than the other just because of what they are. It's like if you're making a sandwich during a Zoom call, no one cares. In theory, you're a little bit distracted, but it's like making the decision to masturbate at that point is like very poor judgment. But that's why even if it was accidental, which I think it is, I think like um two or three weeks of suspension, maybe from CNN and uh, New Yorker makes sense. I also like, I appreciate the New Yorker leaving this decision in our hands. I don't know why they did that, but it sort of brings us into the story. Yeah. You know, this is really uh, gonna, this is gonna, this is gonna be on the dude's obit. I mean, it's of everything that you do in your career. I know. It's like the first, that's why I'm sympathetic. Like no one wants, no one wants like the worst thing you did or the dumbest thing you did to define you. And I um Well apparently he's sort of a bad dude. I didn't realize this, but apparently he uh had a, a while ago he had an affair with a colleague's daughter, pressured her into getting an abortion, she had the child, he denied paternity and there was a a, a case. He like he like he was ordered to pay uh child support through the courts. Yeah, that's not um that's not great. <laughs> it's not great. It's not great. I mean, I've been through versions of that, as you know, 10 or 11 times at this oh, point. Oh, yeah. Just kids, yeah. kids everywhere. Everywhere. I keep getting trapped because of my podcaster fame. I'm, so, I'm surprised you're able to father kids considering how pixelated your wiener is. But <laughs> All those hours with the laptop on my lap gaming yeah. furiously. <laughs> You'd think I'd have sterility issues by now. You would think so. It shrinks the balls, I hear. That might be that might be enough dick talk for this episode, yes. Yes, let's uh let's let's do next episode vagina talk only. Or we you know, we could talk about the female penis too. I think I think vagina talk should uh, people have to pay extra for that. That's patrons <laughs> that, only. That, yeah, that'll be for patrons. All right, as always, blocked and reported podcast at gmail.com, uh, patreon.com slash blocked and reported. Extra episodes, other perks, part of a growing community of people who do not masturbate on Zoom calls with one another, usually. Usually. Anything else? Uh, that's it. Yeah. Rate us on iTunes, five stars only. If you try to rate us anything less than five stars, you'll immediately get a virus on your comu- computer. So, uh, we'll find yeah. you. I guess it's Apple Podcasts now. We keep forgetting. Whatever. Whatever. There's no such thing as iTunes. This has been Blocked and Reported. I'm Jesse Single. And remember, if you have to masturbate during a Zoom work call, make sure your penis is super pixelated. And I'm Katie Herzog. And also remember, if you miss Jeffrey Tubin on CNN, you can always find him on OnlyFans.